focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, uh, joining us in the studio today, we have our reporters Yoon Se-young and Hong Sa-young joining us as well. Guys, welcome back. Hello. Uh, we are going to start things off uh, with North Korea. It's been uh, a very tense uh, couple of weeks here on the Korean Peninsula. We've seen uh, North Korea uh, just last week firing a wave of uh, short-range ballistic missiles. Uh, that was followed by earlier this week an intermediate range of ballistic missile as well. Well, it looks like on this Thursday, uh, North Korea fired yet another two rounds of ballistic missiles into the EC. I believe this time around there was a short range and not an intermediate range uh, ballistic missile. But this is the sixth launch in just 12 days. Uh, Seung, let's kick things off with this. Uh, give us the latest details. Yes, uh, the Joint Chief of Staff announced on Thursday they detected two short-range ballistic missiles, or SRBMs, fired into the EC from the Samsok area in Pyongyang between around 6 a.m. and 6.23 a.m., which is around 5 p.m. on Wednesday in Washington. According to JCS, the first missile flew 350 kilometers and reached a maximum altitude of 80 kilometers at speed of Mach 5, which means uh, five times the speed of sound, and the second one flew 800 kilometers at 60 kilometers in altitude and speed of Mach 6. Thursday's missile launch was conducted over a very short period of time. Just two days ago, on Tuesday, it fired an intermediate-range blasting missile IRBM over Japan, which was the North's first launch of an IRBM in eight months. Indeed, like you said, Australia, North Korea has fired six missiles in just 12 days, once every other day on average. And in response, South Korean military said it will maintain a full readiness posture and is closely cooperating with the U.S. while strengthening surveillance and vigilance against North Korea. Uh, what was different this time uh, was the location. North Korea usually uses Sunan area near Pyongyang when it conducts missile launches, but this time it fired missiles from Samsok area. And Samsok is located in the northeast of Daesong district, central Pyongyang, and is located on the west bank of the Daedong uh, River. And the South Korean and the U.S. authorities are still evaluating and analyzing the meaning of the Samsok area, the reason uh, North chose Samsok this time to test fire the missiles. But given the types and locations of missiles recently launched by North Korea, experts say by launching a variety of missiles from unfamiliar locations in Pyongyang, uh, North Korea is trying to be prepared for possible all possible scenarios on the battlefield. Now, taking a look at the reasons behind the North's continuing provocations um, in response to the North's ballistic missile launch over Japan, South Korea and the U.S. fired four missiles in total toward the waters east of the Korean Peninsula. Plus, the U.S. decided to redeploy its nuclear-powered aircraft carrier USS Ronald Reagan, which left South Korea less than a week ago uh, in show of force. Speaking of USS Ronald Reagan, um, South Korea, the U.S., and Japan conducted another military drill on Thursday in the EC to respond to North Korea's nuclear and missile threats with the U.S. nuclear-powered aircraft carrier in presence. And South Korea, the U.S., and Japan really seem to try to strengthen their security cooperation by conducting 
joint exercise. Uh, this is the first time that such drill was conducted for two weeks in a row. And um, I'm very concerned about this uh, tit-for-tat show of force because it's raising tensions not only on the Korean Peninsula but also around the globe. And going back to the reasons behind the North continuing provocations, on the other hand, some pundits say the recent missile launches are Pyongyang's way to respond to Tokyo, which expressed its willingness to have talks with Pyongyang. Addressing the UN General Assembly, uh, Japan's Prime Minister Fumio Kishida said that Japan is prepared to engage in dialogue on matters of mutual concerns with North Korea and is willing to meet with Kim Jong-un without preconditions and will not miss no opportunity to take actions with all his dedication. Uh, it was a very strong and firm uh, message. And launching missiles over Japanese territory may signal that North Korea rejects the proposal or maybe it's trying to raise tensions further to advance the dialogue. So for whatever reason, continued missile launches are raising tensions not only on the Korean Peninsula, but also around the world again, uh, making the international situation unstable. But unfortunately, analysts believe such provocations, uh, such missile tests are likely to continue for at least a month ahead of Communist Party Congress in China later this month and the U.S. midterm elections set to be held in early November. Yeah, that uh, intermediate-range ballistic missile that they uh, test fired, I don't think that's to raise tensions to further advance dialogue. I think North Korea has uh, no mm-hmm. intention no. of holding any kind of discussion. The mm-hmm. reason why... Uh, there's a specific reason, I think, why they shot it over uh, the Japanese air uh, airspace, and that's because, again, Japan was involved with the naval joint naval right. exercises. So that was the message. Mm-hmm. But the recent, uh, this short-range ballistic missile that we saw them fire today was because the USS Ronald Reagan did a U-turn, right? He came right. back, right? Once mm-hmm. the intermediate-range uh, ballistic week. missile was shot over uh, Japan, the USS Reagan, uh, USS Reagan just basically came back and said, oh, okay, uh, you know, we're going to start doing more drills then if you're going to uh, be provoking us once again. And so in response to the U.S. USS Reagan coming back, Ronald mm-hmm. Reagan coming back. Uh, they shot these uh, two more ballistic missiles here. Uh, but again, that timeline there uh, in between the Communist Party Congress and the U.S. midterm elections to be held early November. They're saying in between those time mm-hmm. might be when North Korea might test their nuclear weapon, their seventh nuclear test. Right. Uh, that Again, and if that does happen, what kind of response we'll see from the United States, uh, South Korea and I guess maybe even Japan as well, or the international community will have to see. Uh, and amidst uh, all the tensions on the Korean Peninsula and the uh, the missile provocations that we've been seeing, uh, specifically uh, today as well, President Yoon Sagar calling for a stronger alliance with the U.S. and uh, security cooperation with Japan. Uh, so let's get the details of this. Sure, SJ. So as our former reporters Haeyoung mentioned about North Korea firing ballistic missiles into this East Sea today, in response to this, President Yoon has pledged a commitment to public safety and regional stability through active security collaboration with the U.S. and Japan. Yoon said that the security concern is very serious and he understands people are worried, but the government will thoroughly take care of people's lives and safety based on the strong South Korea and U.S. alliance and security cooperation between South Korea, the U.S., and Japan. The South Korea's National Security Council has strongly denounced Thursday's missile launches. Meanwhile, the President Yoon is scheduled to speak with his Japanese counterpart, Fumio Kishida, over the phone, including North Korea's missile tests over 
the Japanese territory earlier on Tuesday. Yeah, there was uh, talks that, uh, well, reports that uh, President Yoon and uh, Prime Minister Fumio Kishida were to hold this phone talk. Uh, we haven't got any updates on that, so we don't know if the phone conversation has taken place just yet. But uh, what are the possible topics that could be discussed during the phone call uh, with uh, uh, President Yoon's uh, Japanese counterpart Fumio Kishida? So there was a little bit of a news update. So the phone call did happen not too long ago, but there are possible topics that was brought up in the afternoon in the news articles was security issues related to North Korea's successive ballistic missile provocations. And and when reporters asked President Yoon if topics other than North Korea ballistic missiles like the historical issues will be mentioned, Yoon replied saying that he cannot foretell what kind of topics will be mentioned in the phone call. He also told reporters that Japan is probably shocked over the IRBM missiles, which stands for the Intermediate Range Ballistic Missile passed through the Japanese land, and Kishida probably wants to mention the security part. President Yoon also referred to Prime Minister Kishida's speech, saying Kishida made a prospective statement at the Japanese National Assembly. PM Kishida mentioned that Korea is an important neighbor to overcome the various international discourse and pending issues. So another topic that will be mentioned in the call will be about Korea and Japan relationship. In another speech at the parliament, PM Kishida also said that Japan would closely communicate with the Korean government defining Korea as an important neighbor who should cooperate in responding to various tasks in the international community. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, again, I mean, we don't know what the uh, the topic of discussions between the two sides is, but uh, I mean, if all the things that have happened so far, including the intermediate range ballistic missile being fired over the Japanese airspace and all the tensions on the Korean Peninsula, highly likely the, the vast majority of uh, discussion is going to be based on, uh, based on the security issues. And uh, maybe it's, uh, although I've always been keen on the two leaders talking about the historical issues, I think historical issues for now today uh, is not the most important thing to talk about uh, due to the tensions on the Korean Peninsula. Uh, in the meantime, the 15-member UN Security Council met on Wednesday uh, to discuss North Korea's recent missile launches. Uh, this including that um, the, Tuesday, the one on Tuesday was the concerning one because not only was it an intermediate range ballistic missile, right. because it went over the Japanese mm-hmm. airspace was the big uh, concern here. Uh, Shang, let's get the details of this. Uh, the U.N. Security Council convened a meeting on Wednesday local time at the U.S. request to, to discuss how to handle the North's recent provocation. Uh, not the Thursday's one, the, but the missile launch over Japanese territory, yeah, which Tuesday. was conducted on Tuesday, yeah. right? And it was the first time in more than six months that such meeting was convened to discuss North Korea's missile launches. And in the meeting, U.N.'s Assistant Secretary General briefed the ambassador on the U.N.'s response to the North's missile provocations, and he also delivered the message from Secretary General Antonio Guterres, who has strongly condemned Pyongyang's firing of missiles. At the same time, Washington also harshly criticized Beijing and Moscow, saying that the international community is trying to tighten sanctions on Pyongyang, but Beijing and Moscow are making it difficult by protecting the regime. In response, China argued that UN Security Council should find other ways than just relying on sanctions, calling for the UNSC to play a more constructive role in terms of uh, Pyongyang's provocations. 
And Russia also, in terms of stopping the Pyongyang from uh, making the provocation, and Russia also reiterated that imposing sanctions on North Korea is just a dead end with no result. China and Russia also blamed the U.S. for leading joint military exercise in the region, which provoked North Korea into acting. However, the U.S. rejected such remarks and made clear that there is no equivalency between the joint drills and missile launches. The meeting uh, did not come up with any resolutions, such as making a joint statement or agreement on next steps in regards to North a record number of missile launches in recent months. But after meeting South Korea, U.S., Japan, and other Western countries issued a separate statement um, or urging North Korea to stop the provocation and return to dialogue. Though. Yeah, I mean, again, that's that's the, the always the drawback of, mm-hmm. and then there's even people saying, what's the point of holding these uh, U.S. Right, Security Council meetings? And uh, well, and no, the biggest reason is because again, uh, China and Russia are going to continue to veto. They, they mm-hmm. have to veto uh, votes there, right? And so, um, I mean, China could be saying there's more constructive ways to handle North Korea. I don't know what's. I mean, <laughs> they they don't want to hold any dialogue, and mm-hmm. uh, I think before when I think what uh, North Korea wants at this time are, are sanctions relief but are sanctions relief going to be enough to for them to fully mm-hmm. uh, eliminate their nuclear uh, development there uh, we, I thought we don't it was know. really interesting Russia saying that imposing sanctions is not the answer because it's yeah, already well, I, mean, I mean what are they going <laughs> to say I mean, a lot the, of sanctions what are they right? going to say I mean they're, they're, uh-huh. Russia has been again a recipient of a number of sanctions, sanctions so right? not, not necessarily <laughs> UNSC sanctions uh-huh. because China is going to veto that right, right but they've been right. having like EU sanctions they've had US sanctions Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they have, they're a huge recipient of a lot of sanctions, and they're not going to say anything positive about uh, <laughs> right. sanctions. And, and China, of course, is, you know, they've been sanctioned before by the U.S., not the UNSC, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so, they're, you know, they're obviously going to say all the negative things about sanctions, right. too. But, again, it's, it's a dead end here. Um, mm-hmm. But, but the, the biggest thing here is obviously to hold a dialogue. Um, but North Korea has made it clear that they don't want to talk to mm-hmm. the United States unless there is uh, any kind of sanctions relief. The U.S especially Biden, uh, who surprisingly is more hawkish uh, when it comes to North Korea than we right. thought he was going to be. He's not going to be pulling any sanctions relief. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, North Korea doesn't really like President Yoon Sagyar, it seems like, according to some of the messages <laughs> that we've been seeing from uh, Yoon, uh, uh, from uh, Kim Yo-jung. So, I mean, mm-hmm. there's just no dialogue, and it really right. is unfortunate here. Mm-hmm. Again, the key timeline is between uh, the uh, sometime at the mid- middle of this month and the, uh, the beginning oh, of month. November mm-hmm. uh, is going to be key here. Uh, guys, let's talk oil here. Um, for me, this is uh, news that I watch very carefully. Mm-hmm. Fueling up my car is just ridiculous <laughs> these days. Uh, the OPEC Plus and non-OPEC partners on Wednesday, uh, they held a meeting over in Vienna. I believe this was like the first time they had uh, face-to-face talks uh, since the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, they agreed to impose deep output cuts, uh, seeking to spur recovery in oil prices. Uh, this despite the fact that the U.S. has been pu- pressuring them to pump more. We need more oil. There's so many things going on right now, especially with Ukraine. Uh, you know, fuel prices are getting out of hand here. Uh, but uh, t- tell us a little bit more about this, uh, Soyoung. Sure. To give you a background about this issue, I want to talk about how the Biden administration launched a full-scale pressure campaign to dissuade Middle Eastern allies from dramatically cutting oil production, according to multiple sources. However, this seems to have failed after Wednesday's crucial meeting of OPEC the international cartel of oil producers announced that they will cut the output in an effort to raise oil prices. 
OPEC oil ministers meeting in Vienna agreed to an even larger production cut than the White House has feared, which is 2 million barrels per day. This is the largest reduction in production since the COVID-19 pandemic. As a result, OPEC oil producing countries' crude oil production will be reduced to 41.85 million barrels per day. The ministers added that the cuts were very necessary in light of the uncertainty, uncertainty that surrounds the global economic and oil market outlooks. Yeah, again, I mean, it's, it's as people... Us who need oil and uh, oil prices. I don't know if you guys drive around, but uh, you know, oil price, fuel prices has been just ridiculous these days, even right now. And then right. we started seeing it went down from like over two thousand one per right. liter. Now it's dipped down to like one thousand eight hundred plus mm-hmm. something. Uh, so we're seeing a decline, but now it might spike back up. And what they're saying is OPEC Plus. They're saying a lot of our members are just unable to meet the quota. So what's the point of pumping more oil? Right. And also. Uh, when you know things were good for them, it was like $120 a barrel for them. Now it's dipped down to $80 a barrel. Listen, I mean, we need to make money too, and we you know we've <laughs> lost out on so much money uh, during the the pandemic when there was just no demand, there was no traveling going on. Um, so now, I mean, the, the, I mean, again, I mean, I think cartel is a very interesting word. I think it's it's a fitting word for them. They, they basically control the, the prices here. Um, obviously, as we talked about, the U.S. had been pressuring the OPEC Plus members to pump more, um, but uh, this is not happening. How did the White House react to this latest decision? So first of all, President Joe Biden told CNN that he was concerned about the cuts and he viewed it unnecessary. So overall, the White House said in a statement that Biden was disappointed by the short-sighted decision by OPEC to cut production quotas while the global economy is dealing with the continued negative impact of Russia invading Ukraine. With this, Biden had directed the Department of Energy to release another 10 million barrels from Strategic Petroleum Reserve next month. Meanwhile, OPEC Secretary General Al Gais defended the group's decision to impose deep output cut, saying OPEC was seeking to provide security and stability to energy markets. Yeah, basically the White House uh, was saying that, I mean, this is, uh, you know, a pretty good reason for why we need to uh, rely less on oil from the OPEC plus countries. But the fact is, I mean, they have the vast majority of the the oil pumping capabilities, uh, what are we going to do? I mean, we said the same thing about Russia, right? We're going to cut our, uh, you know, imports of Russian energy and uh, look what it resulted in. I mean, even with this, I think it's going to be quite difficult. So uh, for the time being, uh, it does seem like oil prices are going to go up once again. Uh, CamCam413, welcome back to the show. She says uh, gas is over $6 a gallon for her. My truck only got 16 miles per gallon i I, i've lived in korea for such a long time now that Mm -hmm. i can't do gallons we're a liter uh people i believe there's like something like almost like four liters to a gallon and so it's right now 1800 uh let's see multiply that by four that's like seven thousand two hundred uh one that's oh it's it's about the same price as uh as it is right now six dollars a gallon your arirang is only 17 something 17 so, something yeah, 17 but that's 17. that's gasoline right yes gasoline i drive a diesel suv really? and diesel diesel's more expensive now diesel, and, including the producer and the i i bought a diesel car because it was far cheaper than gasoline <laughs> oh. and look what it, it came back to oh, me no. now it, like, it came back to me and then next right. car and then, then watch i'm gonna buy a new car and there's gonna be gasoline and then diesel 
prices are going to jump, I mean, drop down drop. again. Mm-hmm. Uh, other news here, Korea's industrial electricity consumption uh, increased about five folds in the past 30 years. Uh, this marks the second highest growth rate amongst OECD countries. But uh, industrial electricity rates have only risen about uh, 53% uh, over that uh, 30-year period, which is uh, still very low compared to other major countries. Taehyung, uh, what is this all about? Tell us more. Well, according to a report released by International Energy Agency on Thursday, Korea's industrial electricity consumption growth rate from 1990 to 2019 stood at 372%, ranked second among OECD countries. Uh, during the same period, industrial power consumption in the United States and the United Kingdom fell by 14% and 9% respectively, while France increased by 1%, Japan decreased 19%. Uh, as you can see from the data, South Korea's industrial electricity consumption has increased steeply over the past 30 years, but the increased rate in industrial electricity bills was only 53%, remarkably low compared to Japan, which increased uh, by 82%, France with 229% of increase, Germany uh, 159%, and the UK 181%. And most OECD countries have seen energy consumption decline even with a GDP increase since the 2000s, but Korea's energy consumption has continued to increase with economic growth. And for that reason, experts point out that low industrial electricity prices have hampered energy efficiency improvement. Especially here in South Korea, energy-related companies account for only 0.4% of all electricity users consume over 60% of the total amount of electricity available. Um, And basically, uh, while industrial so it's it's like uh, while industrial electricity demand went up, uh, the rate did not increase much, uh, and it negatively affected the overall industry. On top of that, as Capco, state-run utility Korea Electric Power Corporation, which remained deep in the red for a long time, decided to raise electricity bill amid soaring global energy prices due to the war in Ukraine and the freeze in electricity bills. There has been growing calls for increasing the cost of energy purchases by raising electricity bills imposed and big companies, not ordinary households. And re, uh, recognizing such problem, Kepco also decided to raise residential and industrial electricity bills starting from October. And under the new measures now, residential electricity bills will go up um, 7.41 per kilowatt hour, a monthly increase of 2,271 for an average household of four people, consuming 307 kilowatt hours. Meanwhile, industrial electricity bills will go up as much as 16.61 per kilowatt hour. And some people worry about the further inflation, saying that if industrial electricity costs rise, prices in general will also go up. But pundits say the impact of increase in industrial electricity bills on manufacturing sector will be limited. And experts also say that raising intra- industrial electricity rates could also help companies overcome trade deficit by improving energy efficiency. Actually, um, according to the Capco Management Research Institute, when annual electricity consumption is reduced by 10% as of this year, energy imports will uh, decrease by 7%, which can improve the trade deficit by 59.0% in the first half. Yeah, but it just seems like every year we're just using more electricity. I mean, uh, you know, even like just households, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at an average household now, we have like all these things that use electricity now. Everyone has like bigger air conditioners, Mm -hmm. they have bigger televisions, they have, Mm -hmm. you know, 
bigger computers and they have bigger air everything. Air purifier. Everyone has an air purifier now. <laughs> and then now right. it's wintertime and you need a humidifier. And then right. there's like everything is electrical. And, mm-hmm. and that was the big problem that we had this year was like, I think this year was like, it was hot, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like record hot temperatures. But yet we right. saw like ridiculously amount of like That's electricity right. uh-huh. being used, right? It was, and then and of course the government was pushing for more people to, you know, use less electricity. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a difficult thing with uh, the industrial sector because if you're telling to, you know, if you're going to increase uh, the electricity bill and things like prices that, prices will go up. Yeah, prices well. are going to go up, and you know mm-hmm. they fear like there's going to be then it's going to you know affect the economy and things right. like that. And so, um, I I mean I I could do with what is it with two thousand two thousand two hundred. 71 uh-huh. uh, increase for a four-person four household. I, 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 you I, can I, handle that. I could handle that. It's right. not that bad. I think Korean electricity is cheap in the first mm, place. Right. Uh, let's talk about the foreign exchange, uh, foreign reserves now. Mm-hmm. Uh, this plunged nearly $20 billion in a mm-hmm. month uh, as foreign exchange authorities released the dollars to prevent the $1 exchange rates from soaring once again. Uh, Sonia, what do you have on this? Sure. So first of all, I would like to mention about the value of the local currency right now, which closed at... 1,402.41 and it fell down by 7.71. Even with the foreign exchange reserves plunging by nearly $20, $20 billion in a month, the Bank of Korea issued a statement that there is no need to worry about the foreign exchange crisis as foreign exchange reserves are the world's eighth largest. And according to the statistics on foreign exchange reserves released by the Bank of Korea on the 6th, Foreign exchange reserves as of the end of September were $416.77 billion, down to um, $16.66 billion from $436.43 billion at the end of August. This is the biggest decline of all since 13 years and 11 months of the 2008 financial crisis. Uh, can you tell us, uh, give us a bit of a background on the decline of the foreign reserves here? And uh, why why is the Bank of Korea telling us not to worry about this? Because the figures are quite you know, right. concerning, and especially when you're talking about... Anytime you say this is like the biggest decline since blah, 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 and mm-hmm. then you, they refer to the last time and it's the 2008 financial crisis, right. mm-hmm. uh, it's mm-hmm. always concerning. So uh, tell us more. Sure. So Oh Geun-hwa, the director of Bank of Korea's International Bureau, explained the reason behind the decline in foreign exchange reserves is due to the measures to ease volatility in the foreign exchange market and decrease in dollar conversion of other currency foreign assets to the appreciation of the dollar. When someone asked him if the one and dollar's defense was successful last month, Director O replied saying that they are not intervening in the foreign exchange market as a target for a specific exchange rate, adding if there is a supply-demand imbalance in the domestic foreign exchange market, that they will intervene to prevent markets from leaning to one side. So in short, he thinks that foreign exchange market did help restore its function. Director Oh also added that it is not very suitable to describe the Korean economy as the foreign exchange crisis. As the foreign exchange crisis back in 2008, March to November, foreign exchange reserves fell by an average of $7 billion to $8 billion per month. However, the recent decline was $4.77 billion per month between the period of October 2021 to September 2022. 
I'm still concerned, to be honest with you. Uh, Don Pack says uh, two things in particular are increasing in price, energy, like gas and electricity and food mm. prices. These are things we need and depend on. Well, you know what I also need and depend on is my salary. That's not going up. Uh, and I think same thing could be said about uh, everyone at this time. Everything right. is going up except for your pay right now. Right. Uh, still right. very happy. problem. But I'm still right. happy working. <laughs> I'm still happy, very me much too, happy working right now. So I'm not going to complain here. Right? Uh, staying with the economy here, the U.S. government government has begun collecting opinions to come up with uh, detailed regulations on providing subsidies under the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, the domestic auto industry is paying attention to whether or not there's going to be any kind of solution to minimize the impact on the South Korean automakers. Also, we had reports yesterday that uh, uh, President Joe Biden sent a uh, written letter to President Yoon Sagar saying that they might come up with a solution here. Uh, Sang, mm-hmm. tell us more about this. Yes, over the past few months since August, the South Korean government has consistently expressed its concerns over IRA through various construct, uh, consultation channels and meetings, including the recent one with U.S. Vice President Camilla Harris. And like you said earlier this week, President Biden also sent a letter to President Yoon to say that he's well aware of South Korea's concerns. And the reasons why South Korean lawmakers, government officials, and even president continuously conveyed its stance was because they believed that adjusting detailed regulations would reduce the damage to the Korean automobile industry to some extent. Um, However, to be honest with you, um, since the president of the U.S. signed IRA into the law with overwhelming support from the public and environmental groups, the basic structure of the law is highly unlikely to be changed but South Korea still hopes for some easing measures such as a grace period. But, you know, pundits say it is still unclear whether South Korea's request will be accepted. And the U.S. Treasury Department and the Internal um, Revenue Service, IRS, announced on on Wednesday that they will collect public opinions, including skateholders, until November 4th regarding various tax benefits paid through the IRA. And the core of the law is finer assembly in North America uh, to be available for subsidies for electric vehicles worth up to $7,500. And unless this phase is a phrase is changed, even with small changes in details, most experts say uh, the domestic South Korean automakers will greatly suffer. And although the subsidy varies depending on how much parts manufactured or assembled in North America are used for batteries and how much core minerals are sourced and processed in which country, Since all electric vehicles from domestic automakers um, are now produced in Korea, battery-related standards are not very meaningful either. And Hyundai Motor Group signed a deal to invest $5.54 billion to build an electric vehicle-only factory in a battery cell plant in Georgia, the U.S., but it is expected to be completed um, as early as 2025, so it will be inevitable for domestic automakers to suffer this immensely negative obstacle in the U.S. market for more than two years. The South Korean government still say, though, um, it will continue to closely work with related ministries and industry to find a breakthrough. And although it has various uh, consultation channels, Seoul is also going to submit an opinion. Yeah, I mean, we've already had uh, reports that uh, sales of Hyundai's Ionic 5 and uh, Kia's EV6, Six, I believe, uh-huh. uh, the sales of that dipped uh, ever since uh, the IRA was signed into law back in uh, mm-hmm. August. Um, but I mean, 
you know, even though pundits are saying that, you know, it's highly unlikely that they're, you know, going to exempt South Korea. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we had also other uh, experts saying that, you know, this whole law there, you know, Biden is pushing this so that they could get votes, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, so that the Democrats the could get votes election. for the midterm elections. Uh-huh. And so the consensus, some of the pundits are saying, well, after the midterm elections and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all the votes are in and things right. like that, uh-huh. maybe then they could start talking to South yes. Korea. And even a grace period is good. But mm-hmm. I remember Nordin, I don't think Nordin, you're uh, tuning into our show today but uh, one of our listeners p- pitched an interesting uh idea because final assembly in north uh, north america is uh-huh. the key right and so yes. he was saying what if then you know south korea just starts building uh plants in canada or something like that technically <laughs> still north america but uh, it's still gonna take some time right uh, yeah well, a but, few years. right but would uh, biden be happy uh, with that right no i, I, right. I probably not uh, the word north america i think has no meaning it has to be right. like in the united states mm-hmm. uh but yeah grace period i think could be the next best mm-hmm. option option, if not an exemption that uh, yes. South Korea could get. Uh, moving on here, uh, there's a the uh, the report of uh, overseas investment review th- bill that could be a problem or even an opportunity for South Korea. Why is that? Uh, tell us more about this, Hyung. Sure. To start with, the U.S. Congress is discussing the legislation titled the National Critical Capabilities Defense Act of 2022 which regulates U.S. companies' investment in high-tech technologies in concerned countries such as China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea. The final bill has yet to be made public, but according to the most recent bill, it applies to national core competencies such as semiconductors, batteries, major minerals, pharmaceuticals, artificial intelligence, quantum tech, and bioeconomics. The analysis showed that the Overseas Investment Review Bill which the U.S. is pushing to prevent the leakage of high-tech technologies that have a significant impact on national security, could be a crisis and opportunity for South Korea. So there is a possibility of the U.S. side asking the South Korean government to make the public high-tech investment screening of Korean companies more difficult or try to apply the law to foreign companies at all. So it is generally expected that the bill will not be processed in a short period of time. So there is a possibility that the President Joe Biden administration will introduce the system ahead of the Congress through executive order, and the NDAA is expected to be discussed in earnest after the November midterm elections. Again, after the uh, November midterm elections, right? Uh, I mean, not, not too far away. We've got about a month uh, until then. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of discussions at hand here. Uh, moving on here, coming back to South Korea, mid-controversy. South Korea uh, announcing new plans on Thursday aimed at abolishing the Ministry of Gender Equality and Family. This was, of course, uh, one of the uh, the pledges made mm-hmm. by President Yoon during his campaign uh, pledge uh, times, uh, but uh, also upgrading the Ministry of Patriots and Veterans Affairs, establishing overseas Koreans' office. Uh, these, again, are all pledges of President Yoon suk uh what he would do if he was the president, and he is the president. Now we're seeing this happen. Uh, Se-young, give us the latest on this. Lee Sang-min, Interior and Safety Minister, announced a reorganization plan on Thursday, saying the Yoon Suk-yeol administration will do its best to realize the pledges Yoon made to make a better society. The reform plan calls for abolishing the Ministry of Gender Equality and Family and transferring related tasks to the Ministry of Health and Welfare to establish a new headquarter that oversees comprehensive life cycle 
medical management policies and gender equality. As a result, the Ministry of Gender Equality and Family has disappeared into history 21, 21 years after its launch. And the women's employment sector, which was in charge of the uh, Ministry of Gender Equality and Family, will be inherited by the Labor Ministry against backlash from civic groups from South Korea and also across the world, arguing that it will have a detrimental impact on South Korea and um, other countries in Asia-Pacific region as well. Um, meanwhile, the Ministry of Patriots and Veterans Affairs is upgraded to a ministry level. Now it became an independent ministry. And a new sub-ministry level uh, agency handling consular affairs and services overseas Koreans agency will also be newly established. Uh, meanwhile, President Yoon's pledges to establish the National Aeronautics and Space Administration was not included on the plan announced on Thursday and is expected to be carried out later. Uh, very quickly, to round things out, uh, obviously we had the uh, the main opposition Democratic Party reacting, their response to the latest announcement there. So, what did they say? So the Democratic Party has expressed concerns on abolishing the gender ministry. So, for instance, Oh Young-hwan, the spokesman for the DP, told the reporters that when the Minister of Gender Equality and Family was demoted to vice minister level headquarters, there are serious concerns and problems regarding the possibility of weakening functions, such as negotiating powers with other ministries. He also talked about the stalking murders of Shindang Station and crimes against women internationally and United Nations recommending the need for independent ministries related to gender equality be established. And DP agreed to the reorganization plan of Veteran Affairs Agency elevating to the ministry level and establishment of the Overseas Koreans office. Spokesman Oh said he agrees with the importance of veterans as there were related discussions during the Moon Jae-in government, adding that the Overseas Korean office was also a pledge of our party and there are demands from both inside and outside the party. So he does agree with the need to strengthen the policies of overseas Koreans as there are bills proposed by the DP. All right. One of those uh, rare times that there are two sides could actually come to an agreement here. Mm -hmm. uh, guys, it's all the time that we have for now. But thank you, as always, for your report. Please stay safe and uh, we'll see you guys again. See you. Thank you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.